0: part of the re-watching good television podcast network it's the Sorkin cast
1: here's your host
0: Matthew murdoch
1: and welcome to SorkinCast. It's episode 24 of the podcast, and you know what that means. It is where we're covering the season finale of season one, season one, episode 22. What kind of day has it been? And my name is Matt Murdick, and I am from sorkincast.wordpress.com, and that's where you can find all of the back episodes of the podcast. You can also find contact links, like how to contact me with your feedback, say sorkincast.gmail.com, or by calling 314-669-1840. Or you can tweet at SorkinCast. And it also has podcatcher links at the website. And if you could follow those links to iTunes or Stitcher and leave me a written review on the podcast uh, in terms of what you think I'm doing right and what you think I'm doing wrong, it would be very much appreciated. I really appreciate that kind of feedback. Uh, So please do so today if you haven't already. And uh, for those of you who have done so since uh, the release of the last feedback podcast, I will thank you next week in our next feedback podcast. And that will also include all of your feedback that you've submitted to me up until, uh, well, this day, December 6, 2015. Regarding the West Wing, we'll include all of that in next week's podcast. In fact, you know what? I'll give you an extra day. If you need an extra day to think about it, if you get it to me by, let's well, let's say no later than December 8th, uh, get your feedback in now so I can include it in next week's podcast. I'll probably record it on the Wednesday of this week, so I can't let you go any further than Tuesday, but I do appreciate if you submit me some feedback, and that would include your West Wing Season 1 awards, what I'm calling it. Uh, Please send me your nominations for the favorite and least favorite of each of these categories, your favorite and least favorite episode, scene, main character, or guest star. A total of eight categories. Let me know what you're thinking about what would be your favorite picks, and we'll include all of that in next week's feedback podcast as well. Okay, that's enough about the podcast. Let's go ahead and get into talking about this episode, season one, episode 22. What kind of day has it been? The season finale of season one, it was written by Aaron Sorkin, directed by Thomas Shalame, first aired on May seventeenth, 2000, and was viewed by an estimated 19.3 million viewers. So you know how John and I were talking just a couple of episodes ago about how, you know, the ratings that they had 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 probably not been all of that great. Well, compared to what they have here, uh, yeah, they hadn't been that great. This is an astounding uh, rating, especially in today's age where, uh, you know, people are spread across so many different channels. It's really hard to get this kind of rating unless it's like a universally loved thing. Mostly sports stuff uh, gets those kind of ratings, if anything at all, these days. Uh, So, pretty interesting there. Also, in terms of ranking, this one also ranked very high, Geos.tv, the Global Episode Opinion Survey, ranks this episode 7th out of 156 episodes. So, in the top 10 for many people who voted on it at uh, the Geos.tv There is a little bit of trivia here because what kind of day has it been is uh, a name of an episode that Sorkin uses frequently for finales. For instance, uh, it is also the name of the first season finales of both series uh, Sports Night and Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip and was the series finale of The Newsroom. And, of course, all of those were created by Aaron Sorkin. And now Sorkin claimed that he took that phrase Uh, from Robert Whitehead, who was the lead producer of Sorkin's play, A Few Good Men, which uh, you heard Heath and I talking about earlier this year. Uh, Evidently, Mr. Whitehead used to start meetings at the end of rehearsal days by asking that question, what kind of day has it been? So there you go, a little bit of information and also an episode summary if you will, as the White House prepares the president for a town hall meeting, a pilot is shot down over the Iraqi no-fly zone. The space shuttle has a problem. And after the town hall meeting, the staff finds themselves in the crosshairs of a hate group. Done, dun, done. right? Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, we had a great cliffhanger with this one, as you all know, if you've already watched it. And uh, something that wasn't so much of a cliffhanger was the walk and talk. Uh, Every week there is a scene where people are walking through various areas of the West Wing talking about different things and it's usually done in one continuous shot or through some sharp editing of different shots and uh, this week no exception Bartlett and Charlie arguing about the women's softball game.
2: It seems to me if the event's over by 10, then I can be back here at 11. Yes, sir. And you know what that means. Yes, sir. You could watch the girls' softball game. Did you just snicker when you said that? No, sir. Yes, you did. Mr. President. Thanks, Lou. When you said girls' softball game, you snickered. No, sir. Yes, you snickered. As if to indicate there was something wrong with my wanting to see a girls' softball game live via satellite. Well, you seem pretty excited about it, sir. They're ready for you, Mr. President. Thanks, Phil. I am excited about it. You come to the end of a long day, you sit back, you open a beer, you watch a sporting event. That's what men do. They watch girls softball? When that's what's on, that's what they watch. It's that or a cricket match between Scotland and Bermuda. Now, I am an educated man, Charlie, but when somebody tries to explain cricket to me, all I want to do is hit him in the head with a teapot. Good morning, Mr. Good President. Good morning, Patty. So it's softball, Sacramento State versus the University of the Pacific. Well, that's a class of the Titans, Now, Mr. you're not going to spoil my fight. I wouldn't want to, I'm going to get to the end of the day. I'm going to sit back, open a beer. And watch girls softball. That's right.
1: Good morning, Mr. President. Good morning, sir.
2: Hey, Steve. Hey, Mikey. Listen, have I gotten any of the names right so far? No, sir, but you came damn close on a couple of them. Okay.
0: Good morning, Mr. President. Good morning, everybody.
1: I love the bit about getting the names right. That's that's kind of one of those running gags that, that pop up occasionally uh, as far as Bartlett goes. And uh, you know what? Charlie's pretty quick on his feet with a couple of jabs in this himself. And speaking of quick jabs, uh, there's always a, a couple of what I call quick jabs. They're either personal or political or professional. And... Uh, Basically, they're the humorous quotes from the week, or at least I found them humorous, so bear with me if you don't agree, but here they are.
2: I didn't know that. He's up there with four red-bellied Japanese newts. He wants to see how a newt's inner ears, which are remarkably similar to humans, are influenced by the absence of gravity. You know what he calls them, CJ? Astronutes. 100% right. Go ask him why it didn't land. Yes, sir. Here we go. Okay, sir. Mr. President, the first question... Sorry, CJ. You say I have a pitcher of water in a drinking glass, and the water gets into the glass how?
3: Donna? Yeah? Did you give me a meeting with the vice president?
0: I did, but you're not going to be happy. Jogging? Yes.
3: We couldn't really this time just sit in chairs? I'm jogging it too. It's the only time we could fit you in. <sighs> okay, order me some boiled chicken and some pasta. Nothing like a meeting you have to carve up for. You're supposed to be at the town hall prep right now. Yeah, I'm going to the press room. They started ten minutes ago. Donna? Yeah. Where's my chair? We have to go... Where's my chair? What chair? The chair I sit in at my desk. It's at the shop. At the shop?
0: You said one of the wheels was wobbly.
3: Yeah, you call a guy from maintenance. He brings a screwdriver.
0: Well, I sent it to the shop.
3: I didn't even know there was a shop.
0: It's not so much a shop as it is. What? My friend Curtis.
3: Your friend Curtis? Yeah. Is fixing my chair? I'm
2: throwing him some work.
3: And how much is Curtis charging the federal government to fix the wobbly wheel on my chair?
4: He said he'd have to take a look at the job. At his shop? Yeah.
3: Okay. An F-117? Yeah. Isn't that a stealth fighter? Yes. How did it get seen? I'm sure that someone is looking into that. I would think so. In its defense, the stealth fighter's a generation of technology behind the B-2 Spirit Bombers. It's a stealth fighter. It should have stealth capability, right? Sure, because if it doesn't, we should
2: call it something else. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's hard about this, CJ? Sir? Sure. I'm rehearsing here without the pitcher in the glass, and it's totally weird for me.
0: Yeah. How do you feel about
2: him taking his jacket off? No. I like it. It'll look staged. I if he does it at the right moment.
4: What's he gonna do, throw it over his shoulder? Maybe. Well, it's not wild
2: about that handheld mic. Can we get him wired? No, because with the mic and the stool and the jacket over my shoulder, I can do the town hall meeting and then do a couple of sets at the Copa.
4: I was thinking it might not be a bad idea to have a signal worked out. A signal for what? Good news regarding the pilot, and it comes while you're on television. Uh, What kind of signal do you have in mind? Something like this. What is that? It's a departure.
2: It's a safe departure. Would you like a different signal? No, that one's good. Should I spread it around? Well, I think it's going to get around all by itself, but if you want to help it along a little, there's nothing wrong with that. Thank you, Mr. President.
0: Nice. And I want to congratulate you, Carol. I really thought I was going to see Saudi Arabia spelled with a y.
4: CJ, I am a much better speller than
0: you give me credit for. Yes, 1L in Tel Aviv. Okay.
2: Girls' softball? Women's softball. It's going to be great. Mrs. Lanningham, I'm watching a live sporting event from start to finish tonight. And when Sacramento State and the University of the Pacific get together, it's usually a barn burner. Sir. You're not going to spoil my good time for me.
0: Oh, sir, I think we both know from experience that's not true.
2: Yeah.
3: You needed to be in the car ten minutes ago, Mr. President.
4: Do
2: you see me walking out the door? No, I see you standing and arguing with a senior citizen. I'm leaving. <sighs>
1: Actually, you kind of got a bonus walk and talk here with uh, Donna and and Josh in my humorous quotes. I couldn't find a way to clip it all out, so uh, I just left the whole thing in there. And, of course, uh, you got to get some good Dolores Lanningham in there as well. So, hope you enjoyed that. Now... Before we do start talking about the clips, I know that the episode starts off with the town hall meeting and then you flash back and then lead back up to the town hall meeting. So the way I chose to structure our clips this week, I didn't address the first look at the town hall meeting. Uh, Instead, I kind of went chronologically as to what happens over the course of the episode rather than the scene order of the episode. Now... When we get to the town hall meeting at the end, I kind of took some of the audio from the beginning part of the episode and mixed it with the ending part of the episode. But that's the way I structured it this week. So we will get to the town hall meeting. Don't think that I missed it. We'll just move it all to the end as opposed to having any of it at the beginning. And if I've confused you yet, well, good. That was my intention. So let's move on to clip one. Fitzwallace briefs Leo about a down pilot in Iraq. The president preps for a town hall meeting and asks about the space shuttle. And that's where we find out that Toby's brother is on the space shuttle. The president continues to prep and then orders Fitz to rescue the pilot.
5: Al-Jabbar Air Base in Kuwait says a Nighthawk didn't come back. Didn't come back from where? A three-hour patrol of the no-fly with the five and dime. Iraq. Yeah. We've got an F-117 down in Iraq. Along with the pilot. How much of this is confirmed? None of it. How much time? I need 10 more minutes. 10 minutes that I'm bringing in the president. Confirmation in 10 minutes.
0: Town Hall meeting broadcast live on MSNBC. For the purposes of this rehearsal, Carol will be the moderator. She'll be sitting to your right, which is camera left. You'll have a pitcher of water and a drinking glass.
2: And when I speak, I should stand facing the audience, right?
0: Sir. You know how
2: I know this, CJ? Because I've done it two to 300,000 times before. Hey, Sam. Yes, sir. Why didn't Columbia land last night? I'm sorry, sir? The space shuttle was supposed to land. Somebody just said it didn't. I don't know. Why don't you go ask Toby? Why would Toby know? His brother's on that flight. CJ? Really? He's a payload specialist. Toby, we need an
4: answer on Cuba. We need an answer on Cuba, and we need an answer on farm loans.
2: College students aren't going to
4: ask a question about Cuba. There'll be faculty there. You know, not only did I not know that you had a brother on the space shuttle right now, I didn't know you had a brother.
6: Yeah.
4: I didn't know you had a brother. I do. Do you know why the space shuttle didn't land last night? Why? Were you aware that the space shuttle was supposed to land last night and
6: didn't. What do you want from me, Sam? Is there something going on on the shuttle? I'll find out. Thank you. And write me an answer on Cuba. Okay.
2: Can we expect real action in the near future, or will your administration continue to nibble around the edges? I wouldn't say my administration's nibbled around the edges. Don't repeat the phrase, sir. That'll be the sound bite. If we don't have a solution, the very least we can do is acknowledge that there's a problem. I agree with you that far too many Americans do not have access to the quality, affordable health care they deserve, and it's intolerable that most of them are children. Yes. We can and we must do more. Mr. President, hang on. Now can I blame Congress? Knock yourself out. (laughs) Mr. President, I need you in this situation. Good morning, Mr. President. Is the pilot still alive?
1: He had an ACES-200 ejector seat on board.
4: NATO command in Brussels says the Aegis systems on the North Dakota picked up a tracking signal in the Fowl Peninsula, south of
2: Basra. He's in the middle of nowhere. Who else is out there?
4: The 4th Corps of the Iraqi RG would patrol the area.
2: Somebody's within 10 miles of the pilot. Our guy is 10 miles from the 4th Corps of the Iraqi Republican Guard. It's a matter of who gets there first. Fitz, you got a rescue scenario? Yeah, the
5: 16th Special Operations Group out of Herbert Field. They used the Pave Hawks. And the MH-53J.
4: Mr. President, can I suggest that rather than jumping into a military rescue plan... Oh, you a
5: phone call to Iraqi ambassador... Phil, you want to check with the embassy? I'm
4: saying, Leo, that three hours spent on diplomatic solutions... I'll to- tell you what, Phil.
5: How about I drop you and your $47 million American warplane that's already been picked up by Iraqi radar in the middle of a desert? Then you tell me if we've got three hours to find a diplomatic
2: solution before we come get you. Rob told me in my intelligence briefing last week that the Iraqi government's put out a bounty, the equivalent of $14,000 U.S., for any American plane shot down or any American soldier captured. He was just patrolling the no-fly zone, right? Yes, sir. He had not engaged. No, sir. Phil, if it ends up Fitzwallis has to call this kid's parents, I swear to God, I'm invading Baghdad. Get him back.
1: Yes, sir. If you look back on the season as a whole, you can see that one thing that has really changed about Bartlett pretty dramatically over the course of this season is his comfort level in the situation room. I mean... Think back to the beginning of this season with the whole proportional response scenario, uh, how standoffish he was with everybody in the room, and he had admitted uncomfortableness with the Joint Chiefs of Staff in the episode prior, and he really didn't seem very knowledgeable about anything military. Here, I guess, well, I suppose Leo and Fitz are still having to explain, you know, some technical aspects of the rescue mission and like in terms of equipment or whatever. I mean, he seems perfectly comfortable in that chair at the top of the table, doesn't he? And he's pretty much asking the right questions. He's making the right decisions. Uh, This is like a complete turnaround from where he was at the beginning of the season. So I like seeing that kind of growth. Uh, And he's been in there enough that we can see where it is logical that he would have gained that kind of experience. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that he isn't worried about what's happening with this kid. I mean, in fact, we find out from Leo uh, that he is really... Much more worried about this kid um, than he's letting on, but here in the room he's pretty much carrying himself as a real commander in chief in this episode, as opposed to you know some kind of president just thinking about anything military for the first time, uh, like he was just eight months prior maybe, and i don 't know if that's totally realistic or not, but I, like I said, I think that there's some aspects to this where you see that he's been in there enough that he's gaining, I won't say confidence. I don't know if that's the right word. Maybe more uh, just understanding of the process. Now, the the running gag about the pitcher of water and and CJ giving explicit instructions about the town hall thing, that really only kind of goes so far with me. But on the other hand, it is pretty cool to see Bartlett relaxed because there there were several episodes from the MS reveal uh, to the up to the end of Let Bartlett Be Bartlett where it seems like the stress thing was just totally eating him alive. Uh, but it seems like since they got their report card in the last episode in uh, statist- lies, damn lies, and statistics, he, he seems a lot more of a likable person than he was even before. Um, although he's slightly a cheesy person as well i guess you could say but that's the the water pitcher joke i was referring to and remember he broke the steuben glass pitcher when uh, when he had the the ms attack so uh the pitcher just kind of reminds you that that's there and of course the, the the big reveal in this is that you know toby has a brother i mean we find out in mandatory minimums that he has an ex-wife in andy and now we find out that he has a brother And a brother who's an astronaut even. I mean, it's surprising to me that nobody else besides Bartlett, I mean, Sam didn't know about this. I mean, he really keeps it that quiet. And I think that that kind of emphasizes the fact that his relationship with his brother isn't that good. And and, uh, some of the additional worry that we see Toby have uh, throughout this episode. But the thing about Toby is he's so focused on, on nailing down this town hall meeting. It seems like it becomes beneath his concern that something might be going on with his brother, as the episode kind of plays out. Like I said, we we get why the the concern uh, doesn't seem to be hitting Toby right now, but we're going to talk about that in future clips. Still, there is a sense that you know once Toby finds out that something's going on, that he wants to know. He he's kind of playing it off to Sam. He's acting like it's not a big deal, but uh, it's funny that he sends Sam to find out. And that's an interesting thing, too, when you look at the evolution of the relationship between Toby and Sam here. Because um, prior to him going to bat about Laurie and everything, um, it doesn't seem like he would be the guy that would trust Sam. Or at least, you know, he would send Bonnie out or he would send Ginger out to find out what's going on with the shuttle, maybe. Um, but instead, he asks Sam to do this. And, and I, I think that that shows that he trusts Sam a lot more than I might have been giving him credit for, uh, in the past. And like I said, even though he's coming off as harsh, I I think there is a level of trust here that he isn't offering to anybody else. And I guess that's all I have for this clip. So let's move on to clip two, where Leo tells CJ about the pilot, then talks to Josh about a meeting with Hoynes. Sam tells Toby about the shuttle problem. Josh meets with Hoynes about campaign finance And then C.J. briefs the press about the pilot and intentionally misleads them about any military moves.
0: Is the pilot still alive? Yeah,
5: but he's caught between a couple of divisions of the Republican Guard.
0: Is there a Pentagon Pentagon team?
5: Pentagon team's coming over to brief you.
0: Is there a rescue mission?
5: The president gave the order about an hour ago.
0: There's going to be film of a burning airplane on CNN within two hours. The press will have the news before you're done with whatever you've got going on in the situation. Which
5: is the problem of conducting a covert rescue mission in this age of instant news. You understand what I'm telling you? Yes, I do. Because there was a problem Leo, a few months ago. Saying, there was a problem a few months ago with India, Pakistan. You were uncomfortable. Leo, you were uncomfortable lying to the press. About I wasn't
0: it. lying to the press on India, Pakistan. I was lied to by you, which made me look like an idiot.
5: Well, I'm not lying to you now.
0: We're gonna pay a price for misleading the press. I don't care. I understand.
5: Leo,
3: an F-117? You should go to your briefing. Now. An F-117's a stealth fighter, right? Yeah. At some point, we're gonna be talking about how they shot down a stealth fighter.
5: Oh, you can take that to the bank.
3: Anyway, I arranged a meeting with Hoynes. When? In an hour. Where? We're jogging.
5: Listen to me. Don't tell him why it's bad for us. Tell him why it's bad for him. No not worry about the meeting. Come see me after.
4: Hi. One of the payload bay doors would not close. I'm sorry? Specifically the starboard payload bay door. This is not his first shuttle mission. It is his fourth shuttle mission. Dr. David Ziegler holding a postgraduate degrees in both physiology and biology. I know no more about your brother than I do about you since I didn't know he had a brother.
6: The payload bay door
4: wouldn't close. I talked to the mission commander at NASA, a guy named Peter Jobson. He said that a power drive unit on the starboard payload bay door was jammed, they're gonna need an EVA to fix it, and they didn't want to land till the
6: morning. It's morning every 45 minutes on the shuttle. Morning at Edwards. It's morning right now. EVA's taking a little time. Well, it's a red-letter day for U.S. aviation, isn't it? Toby, Peter Jobson was very calm. He said it was a minor problem. Keep in touch with Peter Jobson and let me know as soon as it lands, would you?
3: Yeah. We've noticed a sudden increase In the amount of racquetball And late night poker games With Democratic opponents campaign finance reform oh, Come on, Josh This is Washington, D.C. Can't swing a dead cat Without a Democratic opponent Of campaign finance reform Chris, stop running a second You're back on the wrong horse You read the same polls as I do The president's going to have nine points In three weeks Fifty-one percent job approval Big deal He's going on national television tonight. He's going to pick up another five. That's 56%. And a 14-point bump in a month. Now, that's daunting, hey, but Josh. hang on. You've had some experience battling Jed Bartley when he's right, and you've had some experience battling him when he's popular. Why in the world would you want to try it when he's both at the same time?
2: You know something, Josh? Sometimes I wonder if I'd to you two years ago. Would I be president right now?
3: You ever wonder that? No, sir, I
0: know it for sure. Flying a routine patrol out of Al Jaber Air Force Base in Kuwait was shot down over the southern no-fly zone in Iraq. At this point, we don't know the condition of the pilot. We do know the plane carries an Aces two zero zero ejector seat, and that it was activated. General Richmond and General Clancy will talk more about that in a moment. CJ. CJ! Danny. Is there a rescue mission underway? Obviously, there are a number of scenarios being contemplated, but I wouldn't want to speculate. We have been in touch with the Iraqi government, and the president is looking for a diplomatic solution. There
5: have been no military moves.
0: No. C J. Chris.
1: Because the episode is structured to have part of the last event of the day up front and then you flash back to prior events, um, watching the episode that way, it's a big deal to find out who Peter Jobson was with the whole Sam and and Toby talk because that's who Sam got the phone call from at the beginning. So it kind of tells you uh, what the whole gesture means at this point in the episode. Sam is giving that signal because he's off the phone with Jobson. And and this is kind of the first look at at, at what all of it means when we were trying to figure out what all that stuff in the the first clip of the town hall meeting means. But I love that there's kind of both a a level of annoyance and concern in Toby uh, at this point already in terms of talking about the the whole Peter Jobson thing with Sam in this particular clip, because he's still concerned about his brother. He's becoming more concerned about his brother, I guess, but he's still annoyed because he's still trying to work on all of this stuff for the town hall meeting at the same time. And I will say that it's good to see CJ standing up to Leo, um, for the fact that, you know, she was just left out of the loop and that was actually Toby's call, if you recall. It really wasn't Leo's call, but Leo's still laying it at her feet and she stands up for herself. And I, I haven't talked about Josh yet, but as far as Josh goes, this bit with Hoines is great because the FEC thing we've seen over the last couple of episodes is really starting to roll. I mean it's becoming something real when Really, you would think the FEC thing would not be that big of a deal. But with the new appointments and all the shuffling around and everything, now he's got to get his vice president on board with it. And I, th- I think that there's a lot that could be said where Hoynes feels he stands right now and maybe why he's talking about the whole FEC thing with other people. That would be for a spoiler uh, section, though. Um, and I we may have already covered the actual reason why so I don't feel a neat reason to explain it, maybe in a spoiler section here. But we'll probably have a spoiler section anyway, because Josh, uh, he, you know, first of all, he really hammers it home. Uh, maybe a little bit too much, because politicizing military stuff is always this kind of slippery slope. And and we definitely see how it affects Leo in the next bit. But one thing that I find intriguing about the scene, uh, and this is what we'll be talking about in the spoiler section, is that... If Hoynes had listened to Josh, would he now be president? And then you get Josh's answer. So the past ties that these guys have will be revealed in future episodes. I don't want to spoil too much, but we'll talk a little bit about it in a spoiler section at the end. And I guess that's all I have for this clip, so let's move on to clip three, where Zoe drops in on the president, Leo chews Josh out, Zoe and Argue about an idea that Charlie has, and Sam tells Toby a little bit more about the space shuttle situation.
2: You could tag Congress as being obstructionist, but you first have to list your own accomplishments so you don't have any credibility. Spanning coverage for 5 million more poor children. Yes. Making health care portable for people who change jobs. You could also list the agenda for the coming year. Hey. My musical director is Zoe Butler. Are you working? We're down to do I or do I not take my jacket off. You want
3: to know what I think?
2: I honestly couldn't care less. I want you to come with us tonight. I was... Dad, are you sweating? I'm fine.
0: You sure? Yeah. You took your pills? Zoe. Fine, go ahead and collapse.
2: Are you channeling mom now? Dad. Come to Virginia tonight.
0: I can
3: watch on TV. It's not
2: like being there in person.
3: You're gonna talk about me and the camera's gonna go on me and my face is gonna turn red. It's just gonna be awful. Bonus, for me. then it's settled. <sighs> Listen, Charlie wanted to say something during prep. Okay. I'm gonna go see mom.
2: Then you're coming tonight.
3: Yeah. Thanks.
2: Josh. Yeah. Did
5: you happen to say to him that if Scott Hotchkiss comes back alive, there'll be a ten-point bump? I did. I gotta tell you, if the president ever heard about that, he'd be out of his skin. Leo. Don't do that. I was not just, even in private. I was the just, guy's been blown out of the sky. He's gotta keep radio silence, because we're not the only ones looking for him. And if they get to him first, and all he gives them is name, rank, and serial number, they're gonna beat him, Josh. They're gonna torture him you're right I mean I know the president's been joking around all day but he's been living and dying with every hour of this and he'd be really offended if he knew you were discussing a political upside and I gotta tell you Josh as a guy who flew planes in the war I was really offended too yes sir okay okay Well, hey Sam was here before we've got some kind of signal
3: yeah for if we know something during the town hall it's gonna be days maybe not
5: what's the signal it's this here what is that that's the signal looks like a hip-hop gesture
3: it's a a plane taking off doesn't look like a plane taking off means something good has happened this means something bad has happened this means something good has happened i got it it's not like you have to be a cryptographer i said i've got it leo i really do apologize thank you wish you
5: hadn't done that you needed prompting i can't believe you chickened out i
3: didn't chicken out i didn't need prompting it's just inappropriate i don't have the same relationship with your father that you have i don't have the same relationship that the staff has i
5: don't think it's out of line for you to put your two cents in
3: Hi. i'm sorry we're just using your office for you, you can keep fighting in just a second i just need to find something there was a screw-up when they closed the door they were
4: doing something which is called a manual winch op which means they disconnect the motor from the door and somehow either as a result of that or something completely unrelated, the two OMS engines are failing. OMS of the orbital maneuvering systems. Do you know if they have primary RCS? That's what they're trying now. Toby, if this were a certain level, they would call the president. Yeah. Seriously? Yeah.
6: Anyway, Kathy's getting Peter Jobson. Before, when you first asked me the reason I reacted the way I did, <clears throat> I was just embarrassed. Because honestly, I <sighs> forgot he was up there. They'd switched his mission order around a couple of times and I, I just I just lost track of it.
3: Toby, Peter Jobson's on 5
1: So, Zoe dropping in on the president and their conversation about him sweating and pills, um, it's the one thing in this episode that is a direct reference to the MS, as far as where the viewers go. I feel like the the glass pitcher uh, was one as well, but that was very subtle. This one is much more just kind of in your face. And if you think about the way this episode plays out at the end, I mean, if he's already having symptoms here, then how stressful will that situation be with guns going off around him? I mean, could that trigger a full-on attack? I guess you have to think about why is he having the symptoms now? Because you think, well, he's got a bump in the polls, but this town hall meeting is probably critical to sealing that deal and keeping those polls up. And Josh kind of alluded to that in his talk with Hoynes. And we know how important winning is to Bartlett because he's never lost, So now you couple that with the fact that a pilot is down in Iraq, and that's something that has not been yet resolved and is of great concern to him, as Leo states to Josh. And you can see why he might be having symptoms now. This is a whole lot of stress packed into a very short amount of time, and so it's causing a little bit of a problem. As for Zoe and Charlie, I kind of get why Charlie is a little resentful, of Zoe kind of whispering in Daddy's ear, I it wasn't intended as he thinks. I don't think. Uh, I think just thought she was helping Charlie out. But then when he states it's making him uncomfortable, then she kind of turns around and goes on the offensive a little bit. But I, I think that's kind of like what she did it with the reporter in six meetings. Instead of just ignoring the guy or or letting it sink in, the reporter. She went on the offensive and ended up telling a lie, and and here she kind of goes on the offensive with Charlie and makes it seem like it's his fault. Um, the problem that I have with this is that neither of them are really hearing what the other one is saying, uh, and and that's the the where the the whole thing about the disagreement is coming from. We'll see, of course, by the end of the episode that it's nothing that they can't get past, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in the next after the next clip, but. I mentioned how the president is stressed and uh, I think Leo clearly demonstrates that in his talk with Josh in this clip, living and dying on every hour. What's good here is the sense of how this White House, at least on Leo's level, does seem to see right from wrong in the most part. I mean, you could say manipulating the FEC nominations a little bit um, or the FEC is not in the best thing, but that's kind of gamesmanship. Whereas um, politicizing a military rescue is just in poor taste, in my own personal opinion. And I'm glad that Josh gets that handed to him, you know, by Leo on on this particular issue. I I like that Leo chewed him out about it. And it's not that I think that Josh was really thinking about it in in that way, about politicizing it. I mean, I think he was just really just trying to put more squeeze on Hoynes. But maybe that says something a little admirable about Hoynes, too, because evidently he was— Affected enough by it to have called Leo and told him about it. And and so I think the most important thing is that Josh does realize his mistake and he apologizes for it. So um, that resolves it all well enough for me. But interesting that politicizing the military, um, whether it's a good or bad thing, still works its way into episodes like this. I That was great. And then finally, this whole Toby and Sam thing. To me, Richard Schiff, again, just is absolutely amazing. Uh, Toby, to me, is one of the best characters in this series. Uh, I've made no secret of saying that. And uh, all of this reveal about the shuttle stuff is great because it also points to some things well down the line in the future. So we will talk about that in a spoiler conversation at the end as well. But in this particular scene, Toby being embarrassed that he didn't remember about his brother Kind of speaks to that larger issue that him and the president talk about later, too. And we'll address that then as well when it comes up. But here, it's just the mannerisms and the tone of voice, all the symptoms of real concern being exhibited by Toby. Uh, I think that's just another testament to just how good Richard Schiff is in this role or was in this role. And uh, I think it also speaks to why he won an Emmy for his work this season. And I guess that's it for this clip, so let's move on to the fourth clip where Charlie finally tells his idea to the president, Fitzwallace tells the president that the pilot has been rescued, CJ defends herself to Danny, and Toby talks to the president about the space shuttle.
2: Hey, what was it that Zoe was talking about before? It was nothing, sir. What was it? It was, uh, it was just, there's been a
1: report that's been sitting on your desk for a few weeks. It has? Well, my desk, really. And so I was reading it, and in prep this last week, you've been having discussions with the senior staff about youth participation in the political process. You were saying... What's the report? It's from a group called the Center for Policy Alternatives. And there's some things in there that hit home with me,
2: and I'd mentioned it to Zoe, and that's why... Mr. President? Yeah? Chairman Fitzwallis. Thank you. Charlie, whatever it is, stick it in my briefcase for me, would you? Yes, sir. Thank you. Charlie? Sir? Mr. President? Fitz, do you have any news at all?
5: Actually, I think I'm going to have something in just a minute. They'll put the call through here. Okay. Mind if I wait with you, sir? No.
4: Excuse me, Chairman. That's your call, the blinking light.
5: Thank you. I'll stop bugging you in just a minute, Mr. President. Yeah. Thanks. Mr. President, I have Captain Scott Hotchkiss on the phone. He's cleared Iraqi airspace, and he's on his way to Tel Aviv.
2: Fitz. Congratulations, sir. The kid's all right? He's got a sprained ankle. Captain Hotchkiss, this is President Bartlett. How's your ankle? Good. Uh, Before you say another word, give me your parents' phone number. I never get to make this call.
0: Danny, if by standing up and lying I misdirected the Iraqi counterintelligence for even half a beat, then it was absolutely worth it. That's a no-brainer. And if I didn't, then it was certainly worth trying. There are only 50 people in the world who can't understand why I lied this morning, and they all work in the White House press room. I'm sleeping fine tonight. You didn't have to call on me. Every hand shot up. Everybody was going to ask the same question. You knew what your answer was going to be. You called on me. Well, yes, I did. And you wouldn't have rather done that to a journalist who's been less supportive of this administration than I have? No, I chose you. CJ, I'm not staying in the penalty box forever. I have covered the White House for eight years, and I've done it with the New York Times, the Washington Post, Time Magazine, and the Dallas Morning News. And I'm telling you, you can't mess me around like this. Danny, i got to tell you, that was, seriously, that was a turn-on when you said that, though I don't know why you decided to be your most haughty on the Dallas Morning News in that sentence. CJ?
4: The buses are leaving.
0: Toby?
2: They're trying firing something called an RCS. And if that doesn't work, they got about 39 other things they can try. There's redundancy after redundancy after redundancy built in. And for good measure, they have Atlantis warming up on the launch pad. It could dock with the Columbia in about two hours. We can do that now, Toby. First thing the shuttle
6: does after it leaves the atmosphere is open the cargo bay doors. That's what lets the heat out.
2: Mr. President, when we're done tonight... You should take the next flight out to Edwards Air Force Base, meet the thing when it lands, stop being a horse's ass, and talk to your brother. Mr. President,
6: I appreciate your trying to be a comfort, and I appreciate that you have some understanding of the situation with my brother. But the thing was supposed to land 19 hours ago. Obviously, there's a problem. It's space travel, and I don't believe
2: any problem is minor. The shuttle flies itself, Toby.
6: No, it doesn't, Mr. President. No.
1: It doesn't. A couple of things about Bartlett in this section. Um, Despite the fact that he's been living and dying with everything regarding this pilot, as Leo pointed out, He's actually been making a real effort to keep everybody else upbeat. And he's doing that with his other stuff as well, which I think, again, is a remarkable change in comparison to, say, the episode of Proportional Response. He was so consumed by that whole military situation, and and he kind of took his frustrations out on everybody else. And here, he's definitely different than that. And that includes taking the time to listen to Charlie, which I thought was great. Because at at least once asked, Charlie didn't blow it off out of fear or anything. And of course, that kind of explains Charlie being so excited that Bartlett used his stuff in the town hall meeting, as we see at the beginning of the episode. So you're getting all of these little reveals throughout the episode as to what all the stuff at the beginning that you're asking questions about is in the beginning. I think that that's good storytelling. Um, The other thing, of course, is the joy that Bartlett feels when Fitz tells him that the pilot is clear. Um, this is really a kind of episode that makes you like Bartlett even more because he's seemingly doing everything right, which is, of course, what creates the extra tension for the cliffhanger at the end of the episode, too, because you hope that he makes it through. One other thing about this Fitz stuff, though, I, I left out the part about the the emblem, but I found that great because Fitz is really just killing time. I mean, he's a military guy. And he's been through lots of these things before. And even if it is just kind of a straying thought because he's used to this kind of thing, it also kind of throws Bartlett completely off guard and sets Bartlett up perfectly for the good news. I love that because it's just so quirky and and yet delivered in a nonchalant manner. Uh, I love that about Fitz. He's fantastic. And I also love that Bartlett wants to call the pilot's parents to give them the good news. I I I mean he's he's really trying here to to I mean he's really becoming the good guy and even goes and talks to Toby about keeping his spirits up uh when he realizes that that this white house isn't all about him but again that whole bit it's Richard Schiff that just sells that scene it just it, he just kills it with that concern and once again you get this whole bit about there being some tension between Toby and his brother And if you take that and you look back at the rest of the flashbacks, you can see why Toby didn't keep exact track of his brother's missions. And you understand the extra concern that he has, not only that his brother is in danger, but that, you know, if there is a hatchet to be buried, they they haven't had a chance to do that. Um, And you you feel all of that in Toby. uh, And I love that. And then real quick about CJ and Danny, I guess, um, Now it becomes really clear why uh, CJ starts uh, throws Danny the bit about the shuttle at the beginning of the episode, Um, because she did him wrong, you know, one last doghouse thing by calling on him earlier about the whole military thing. And uh, she realizes that she does it. And uh, I really like Danny for standing up for himself, because he's kind of been bending himself over backwards for CJ all season. And, and I, I think, uh, as John and I talked about, Danny's a guy that we really like to like. And uh, it's good to see him uh, get uh, at least his side out there. Because I, I think that's kind of a wake-up call for CJ. This is kind of like the point where CJ realizes how one-sided her bit with him has really been. Uh, and and she's, you know, she's trying to make amends for it uh, by the end of this episode when she's giving him the tip about the shuttle. You could say, I guess, that she called on Danny because she trusted that he would ask the question, <laughs> um, which she needed to misinform. You know, she, she knows him well enough and trusts him that way. But it was still kind of a doghouse thing. And, and uh, Bartlett had told her to stop doing that kind of stuff a while back. So I'm glad that it seems like that that chapter of the doghouse with CJ and Danny is over. And I guess that's all I have to say about that clip, so let's move on to the final clip where the president concludes his town hall meeting. Everyone is happy that the shuttle has landed successfully. And then, uh uh-oh, all hell breaks loose.
2: Agree with the statement, politicians... And political officials. how old the were lazy, confused, and unfocused.
3: What's that source? It's the Center for Policy Alternatives. C J L F copies for the bus ride back.
2: Ambitious, determined, and independent. I want to continue with this, but there was some debate among my staff earlier today as to whether or not I should take off my jacket. Some thought it would fit in nicely with the folksy atmosphere of a town hall meeting. Others thought it wouldn't be presidential. Can I trust you all to read nothing into it other than I've been talking for two hours and it's a little hot under these lights? Thank you. See, all that ambition and determination doesn't translate into political action: Where's Toby? Why? He's got a phone call?
4: From, From who?
2: Peter Jobson? Give it to me. Toby. Josh.
3: Leah.
5: What's that? It's the signal. I thought that was the signal for the others. It's the signal for this
3: thing now. When did that happen? It happened just at... Who cares, Leo? It's the signal for this thing
5: now. But we're totally out of the woods. Go
0: tell the president. Follow me. What? I have a... I have a tip. You do? Yes. Okay. I have a tip, and I'm going to give it to you before the others.
1: Are we being washed right
0: now? I want you to acknowledge that I'm doing something nice for you. What's the news? A peace pipe of sorts. Yes? An offering, which in one sense... What's the damn news? Call your science editor. Why? It's about the space show oh. Columbia. There's another <laughs> Straight up. Straight to the car.
4: He's not working the rope line?
1: There's a softball game he wants to watch.
4: They show softball on TV? Um, yeah and the president watches it
1: he likes to unwind watching sports on TV
2: softball whatever's on okay That anyone
3: at did you hear that to write that yeah down. he used it yeah he used the material I told him about yeah
2: decisions are made
3: you were right what do
2: you mean it doesn't go away thank you everyone God bless you and God bless America here we go you're feeling good you're looking for a way to thank me
1: you had nothing to do with it and you were still unbelievably wrong
2: i accept your apology toby walk with me yes sir what do you got to say for yourself about what (laughs) yes sir i saw something
1: First things first, uh, this was a nice thing for Charlie to have the president refer to his idea and that whole bit to Josh about the feeling never going away. That's a great callback to the first episode where Josh first hired him. I love that. Um, but unfortunately, it's also kind of bittersweet for him because I think we can guess that this shooting is in relation to him dating Zoe. And why do I say that? Go back and freeze frame the people who were in the window with the guns in this episode and then go back and look at 20 hours in LA and look at those two young men that Gina was checking out in the rope line I think they're the same guys uh how about you I I I really think they're the same guys and I I can't recall if I mentioned that in the uh in a spoiler section for 20 hours in LA or not but I I really think that that's true and you couple that with uh They also look fairly young and remember in six meetings before lunch where Gina said she was convinced that they were looking for a couple of teenage boys. I think bingo, you got it. I think that these are the same guys. So I love on one hand that Sorkin had been laying this out since the whole Zoe dating Charlie and then they ended up not being able to go to the opening club a little bit because there was a white supremacist meeting going to happen and and so she would have to cancel. Uh, And where was this meeting? Virginia, this town hall meeting that they had. Uh, so there you go. All the little clues, they kind of add up. The only one problem that I have with it is why was Zoe allowed to go at all, first of all? And remember that she didn't even want to go, but Bartlett kind of twisted her arm into going. Mm -hmm. And even though that I think that these two guys in the window, uh, in this episode are the same two from 20 hours in LA, how does a couple of teenage kids go jet setting around the country to follow the president and Zoe and Charlie? Uh, how, how, how do they do that that seems a little bit unfeasible Um, even down to the ridiculous a number of gunshots in this part I can't imagine that many gunshots happening before uh, these guys weren't picked off by uh, the snipers and whatever else that the the president employs when he's going to a public place Um, it it just seemed like you know like magazines upon magazines were being unloaded and that doesn't seem very realistic Um, but it does add drama to the story I suppose and then, of course, we're left with the question that the Secret Service agents are literally asking at the very end as it fades to black, like, who's been hit? And and there's lots of shots of our different characters uh, either falling to the ground or being pushed to the ground, but we really don't know who's been hit, if anyone at all. Now, of course, you rewatchers know. Uh, I'm not going to say here in this spoiler-free section of the podcast, but everybody else who has watched this series before, you know who's been hit. And uh, the implications of all of that. So we'll uh, we'll talk about a little bit about that in the spoiler section as well. And that's all I have for this particular episode. So let's get to my rating. As you know, SorkinCast.wordpress.com has a little section on it that outlines how I rate episodes, how my ten point scale rates. And uh, uh here goes my rating. Believe it or not, I would not put this in my top ten. I would not. Uh, I think it was very interesting. Um, there are some things that I, I don't feel like uh panned out really well in terms of the reveal of who the shooters were and all of that, based on my own theory anyway. Um, so I'm gonna go a flat nine. Uh, and I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of trouble from many of you fans since this one is ranked in the top 10, at least at Geos.tv. On a first watch, I guess I could consider why you would you would uh, put this in your top 10 episodes. I'm not so sure about a rewatch because if you do know who got hit or didn't get hit and there's a clear reason why, like in the open of season or two, then this episode really just seems more like a happy buildup to a big cliffhanger uh, rather than anything really all of that interesting on its own. Um, You do see some growth with the president from a military standpoint. Um, You see growth with all of the characters, and and there's great stuff from Toby. But I'm just going to give it a flat nine. Um, So send your hate mail to sorkincast at gmail.com, or you can call uh, a hate voicemail, the 314-669-1840. Uh, or you can tweet a hate tweet to at Sorkincast if you disagree with me, if you think this should be a 10. But I am not going to say so as much because uh, it seems like a lot of fluff build up uh, just to get you invested in a cliffhanger at the end. Uh, and that seems a little formulaic to me. And uh, I guess that is it for this week. Next week is the feedback episode where I will read your feedback For the second half of Season 1, any new iTunes reviews, and your Season 1 West Wing Awards, including your favorite and least favorite scene, episode, character, and guest star. I'll also be announcing what's next for the podcast based on a poll that I put up on the website late last summer. Uh, and Hopefully you voted on that so that you had your voice as to what we're covering next. And uh, I will have a spoiler section for you after the end music. Remember, sorkincast at gmail.com or 314-669-1840 or tweet at sorkincast. And I'm giving you two extra days to get any feedback for Season 1 in. You have until Tuesday, December 8th. Get it to me by then That's your last chance because I'll be recording on Wednesday. Take care, everybody. And if you're not sticking around for the spoiler section, we'll see you next week.
0: Find all of the back episodes, links, and more information at sorkincast.wordpress.com leave the podcast a written review at our itunes or stitcher store pages to submit feedback send emails to sorkincast at gmail.com or call 314-669-1840 The Sorkin cast is a member of the
1: Rewatching Good TV network. You're still here. That means you've seen the whole series, right? I mean, the whole series. The whole series, because we're going to go kind of deep, especially on our first point here. And I don't want to spoil you if you don't want to be spoiled. So, uh, hopefully, you have left. If you do not wish to be spoiled, and I can talk to the rest of you who don't mind or who already know. So, uh, let's talk about Toby first. Okay, so now we know that Toby has a brother who's an astronaut. And we heard Bartlett mention that Atlantis could be up there in time to dock with the troubled shuttle. But I wonder if Bartlett was really referring to Atlantis. Because we remember at the end of Season 6 and through Season 7, Toby is the one who leaked information about a military shuttle. Now, I don't remember if Toby said something in Season 6 that he already knew about the military shuttle at this time. Um, But at least in this particular episode, in uh, what kind of day has it been, the president doesn't think that Toby knows about it. So that, of course kind of makes for a dramatic ending of the whole Bartlett presidency in Season 7 uh, when he finally pardons Toby, uh, who admits being the leak uh, that ends up getting him prosecuted for the crime, uh, which, of course, has caused a great rift between the two of them. So I, I love how the showrunners at that time, which wasn't Sorkin, by the way, called that back and, and made this a big point for Toby. You know, lots of things about the the shuttle possibilities of being late here in season one I thought it was good for those showrunners in in season six and seven to uh mine this up and and use it as something uh because to me uh the whole Bartlett-Toby relationship that is established as being kind of butting heads a lot at the beginning of this season um you know the whole Better Angels thing it's great that it culminates into this uh Toby appealing to his Better Angels at the end, and and it really causing problems for him and Bartlett. Even though I don't agree with what Toby did, I still feel like uh, it was a great kind of metaphorical character thing between just these two characters as the series went on. Now, as for the shooting itself, I mean, we know that Josh definitely gets hit very badly. Uh, Bartlett gets hit, and then a whole MS thing becomes a bigger issue uh, in Season 2 because of this. Um, so on the level of him looking at him and, and sweating in this episode, I thought it was a nice touch to bring that in again, um, to set up for next season. Uh, finally, because it, it feels like, uh, the MS thing had been ignored and then they kind of threw it in there just to throw an extra caveat to the tension, uh, of this cliffhanger. And, uh, we get the reveal in season two that it was Sam who pulled CJ down during the shooting, uh, there is a shot in this episode of her being pulled down from behind the car, but did it really look like Sam to anyone else? I mean, it didn't to me, but it, it's quick and blurry, so I guess it could be. Um, and uh, again, back to Josh, him being a victim, that sets up uh, even more for his uh, post-traumatic stress disorder which he suffered in season two and, and uh, that great episode, Noel in season two. Plus Josh's head is like I've mentioned before. It's he's got abandonment issues and they'll cover some more of that as we go on in the future seasons as well, especially about his dad and the Illinois primary. And um, and since I'm here, I guess I'll touch on the, the whole uh, Josh uh, vice president Hoynes connection as well. Uh, of course, before Josh went to work on the Bartlett campaign, he was basically running Hoynes' Senate office And there's an episode in the future where we'll see flashbacks to that time uh, where he becomes very dissatisfied with the direction that Hoynes was going, even though Hoynes at that time was the favorite to win the nomination. And I think that's what Hoynes' line is referring to in this episode. There are several issues that Josh and Hoynes disagree on in a future uh, flashback or a flashback in a future episode and I, I think that that's what Hoynes is referring to as far as his line goes. And as far as him working with the FEC or working with guys behind closed doors about the FEC, again, Hoynes thinks that the president is only going to do one term. I, I, I think that that's what Bartlett told him when he got him to join the ticket. And so uh, Bartlett hasn't decided that he's going to run again yet. And uh, he made a promise to Abby that he wouldn't. And so Hoynes is just kind of trying to operate for his own benefit because he thinks it doesn't really matter what Bartlett does now. He's got to think about him for the next election. Um, So I found that very interesting as well. And I will say again, I did like the fact that Hoynes uh, called Leo and, and brought up his concern about the whole politicizing the military thing. I thought that that was great that we had Hoynes do that. Hoynes is one of these characters that um, is, you, you can either look at him as complete trash, or uh, you can see some silver linings as well. And uh, sometimes I do see those silver linings in Hoynes, like I pointed out in this episode. And I guess that's it. Again, if you have any feedback, sorkincast at com, or you can call 314-669-1840, or you can tweet at Sorkincast. Next week is the feedback episode. We'll see you then. Bye.